Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. Now, in today's episode, I'm pleased to continue with part two of a three-part conversation that I had with the French yin yoga teacher trainer, Sebastian Poussel. In this segment of the conversation, Sebastian and I really roll up our sleeves and look deeply into the practice of shamatha meditation. This conversation definitely falls under the category of what I might call a shop talk type of interview. You hear me getting to know Sebastian in real time as we explore tips, tools, and approaches to the meditative process. I love hearing what Sebastian had to share in this conversation, in part because his depth of practice is so palpable, conveying an intimate, deep knowledge of the Buddhist teachings. But before I begin this episode, I just want to thank all the folks that are supporting this podcast by sharing episodes or links to the podcast with their friends and like-minded colleagues. As a free podcast, really as a way to support and help me, the best exchange of value for value and a best way to support my guests that come onto the podcast is in sharing and expanding the reach of interest in the podcast. So thank you for sharing, and if you're listening and appreciating what you hear, please consider sharing this with a friend. Just a few clicks of the mouse goes a long way to help me keep doing what I'm doing in service of broadening our understanding of yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. So thank you for that. And now, once again, I bring you Sebastian Poussel. Okay, so in our first conversation, Sebastian, you were kept mentioning this word shamatha, mm-hmm. and I was hoping in this conversation you could break down or explain what is shamatha and what and what, what where is it situated in the the meditation world? Like, what's the context of it? So shamatha, shamatha could be um, and often is translated as. Um, concentration meditation or uh, calm abiding or or pacifying the mind and often it's opposed to vipassana um, you know there if you look at uh, the buddha's teaching often they they compare or they oppo- they oppose to each other shamatha practitioner or shamatha meditation and vipassana practitioner and vipassana meditation um saying this um, knowing that the Buddha started with shamatha and, and also at the end of his life, on his last day, went back to shamatha concentration, you know, going through the jhanas, which is different stages of concentration. Right. So, so in, in shamatha practice, the nuts and bolts of that is that a practitioner would focus their attention on something specific, right? Correct. And then come back to that. When every time the mind wanders, they bring it back. And in contrast to that, uh, in a vipassana practice, rather than bringing your attention back to the object of concentration over and over again, at least the one I've I've practiced it in, in vipassana, you you where the intention is to look clearly and see clearly into every arising, each and every arising. You don't 
you let your mind move more fluidly and spontaneously from one sensory mental experience to the next, not yes. returning. Does that sound kind of more or less what your sense of it is? Yeah. Uh, vipassana is you know often called uh, insight meditation mm-hmm. so you're directing the mind to different phenomena such as maybe a thought or sensation bodily sensation um, well the aim is to develop some insight some wisdom and then uh, coming back to the teaching of the buddha there's the three pillars which are uh, impermanence um, suffering or not satisfaction and 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 then uh, anatta or not self so as you develop the vipassana insight practice you should get uh, wisdom you know um, from those three understanding of what is the reality right so the, pre- the the premise in, in vipassana is that when you see very directly in your own experience that everything's impermanent mm-hmm. the way i try to say it is like because everything's impermanent you start to realize that nothing is going to be capable of giving lasting satisfaction that's the second characteristic yeah. and then within that flowing change there is no permanent you anywhere to be found and yeah. and the insights into that are liberating because now you relate to the world in a way in the way the world is rather than the way you want the world to be yeah and that's why they call it the insight or the, you know, um, insight meditation, you know, developing wisdom, wisdom. But um, you could see also that uh, Vipassana is not such a, a method of um, meditation, but rather a result of meditation practice. Mm. And this is Ayakema saying this, that um, Vipassana is not a meditation uh, method. Sorry, who's, who's but, Ayakema? Uh, Ayakema, um, well, she deceased, but uh, she was a, a nun um, from the Theravada tradition, and I came across her, her works through one of our teachers, which is a Libra Sington. She she was German born, and then um, I think did a, a lot of um, uh, practice uh, in um, Sri Lanka, and then she ordered also uh, there in the monastic. Um, order in, in Sri Lanka uh-huh. and, so, and, and, and she, she wrote a lot about uh, the shamatha practice and what did she say about Vipassana you said or... yeah but you know uh, Vipassana is not, a, is not a method of meditation but the result of meditation uh-huh. and I, I, I kind of like the way she, you know, she's putting it um, such as um, coming back to yoga when we talk about um, the samyama, the different process of um, of meditation, we start with dharana, which could be translated as concentration, then dhyana, meditation, and then finally samadhi, absorption. But the result of dharana is dhyana, the way I, I, I see it or the way I understand it. Hmm. Dharana again. It, that's the concentration piece, right? It's been a while since I've looked at the Yoga Sutra, but that's yeah. that's the concentration yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mentioned this in the in our previous, the first part of our conversation here, but historically there seems to be sort of these what I call Buddhist arguments or in, intra-Buddhist bickerings, discussions between different Buddhist traditions within Buddhist traditions around. Um, do you do shamatha first, and then at what point do you shift into a vipassana mode? 
can you start with Vipassana and then shift into a shamatha mode? Do they mm-hmm. actually happen together, sim- like sort mm-hmm. of more or less develop and ripen simultaneously? Um, yeah. It sounds like you have, in your own practice, chosen to emphasize shamatha primarily. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. So I'd like, I'd like you to speak about um, like how you came to that decision, re- some of the reasons for it, and, and, then, and then what do you do, what does your practice look like? Yeah, um, as I said uh, earlier, the, my first really um, proper experience with meditation was through Goenka, Goenka method. And he's describing, you know, his method as a vipassana meditation. But uh, if you're doing those 10 days of a retreat, 10 days meditation, Goenka, you start the first three days doing uh, shamatha. Well, he doesn't call it shamatha, actually. He says anapanasati, which is a form of shamatha, which is really, you know, putting, putting your attention on the sensation of the breath passing through the nostril. So that's definitely a form of shamatha, of concentration. And then... From the third day, the fourth day, you start to do the Vipassana method. So uh, I did a, you know, a few of those um, uh, retreats, Goenka, and then um, so I followed. Of, of course, you follow the, the method you know, day by day. They give you the instruction. But I really started to have um, an inclination towards the Anapanasati method, and I found that the, the more quality more time I was spending, you know, and putting um, into developing shamatha, the better result I got when I went into vipassana. So again, coming back to the fact that if you don't have concentration, you cannot get anywhere. You know, it would be very hard to find any insight or from your practice to come to any insight. And that really is the function in, in this model. That's the function of shamatha is that it's meant to stabilize the mind yeah and pacify the mind, pacify yes. the mind stabilize the mind um, so that one can see clearly in the moment mm-hmm. of what's happening yes yes and you you've been using this word anapanasati which you, you said briefly is it's that translates as the awareness or developing a mindfulness of the in and out breath right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah breath awareness yeah um so but that's not the, the uh, sorry that that's not the only way uh, as you mentioned you know they could be completely intertwined and actually uh, Ajansha and uh, Buddhadasa um say that there is no separation at all between you know uh, concentration and and or shamatha and vipassana because the path of concentration will lead to insight and i think vice versa you cannot really doing any vipassana with a fair amount of concentration so there is not like there is one recipe. It will depend on which teacher you have in front of you. It will depend on which type of mind do you have. If you have a type of mind which can easily concentrate or a type of mind which can easily, you know, um, contemplate, I would say, you know, opposite to concentration. Um, there is a few factors that um, will naturally um, be more appealing to you for shamatha or vipassana, and, and this you'll discover as you go along. Yeah, you know, I think it is very individual. Um, once you, as you're saying, as you go along, but I also think that a lot of yoga fi- people 
Um, because in yoga practice, there's a lot of emphasis on watching the breath. I think that many yoga people find a natural bridge to meditation vis-a-vis -a -vis a, um, an anapanasati practice where they watch the breath in the meditation as a way of doing shamatha. But just as there's like debates in Buddhism around, do you start with Vipassana or do you start with shamatha or they have them together? There's also debates about where you should watch the breath <laughs> when you do something oh, like yes. anapanasati. And so, yes. you know, not to get too personal, but where do you watch your breath when you, when you meditate? Well, personally, I'll, um, I've been practicing uh, anapanasati for, uh, for, almost um, 15 years now and then uh, so you know what we call the anapana spot is officially the space in between the nostril and the upper lip um, you could develop um, also shamatha or form of I, I, I'm not sure if you can call it anapanasati but an, you mentioned um, Masi Sayado I know in Burma they are also very keen on, on belly breathing mm -hmm. doesn't really matter I think, and as long you know as you as you can sustain the cultivation of concentration, doesn't really matter where you put your attention. Saying this, they say that you you have a better chance to access jhana or absorption, those different stages, you know, in the path of concentration, if you uh, remain around the nostril and the upper lip. Mm -hmm. Also, also the um, maybe the manifestation of nimitta which is a signpost, you know, luminosity of the mind for some reason. And I cannot really explain why, but um, teacher told me that, and I found that also in the text. Yeah. So just those two, the, you introduced a couple of technical terms, which I think are, are really interesting terms that some people may not be aware of, but jhana, J, it's the J-H-A-N-A, -A, jhana. Jhana refers yep. to deep, there's, there's a, spectrum of deep states of absorption right yes so yes. and these are these are kind of altered states of consciousness that that are different from ordinary waking consciousness oh yeah yes definitely yeah. yeah um and and there's sometimes you you'll come across um meditation in, in buddhism particularly uh, meditation practices that say this is a jhana practice like we're mm. practicing to develop specifically these states um, and then you also, and I want to speak about that a little bit more, but you also introduced, uh, this term nimitta, which mm. I'd be curious about what that a little bit more. It's from my, my experience in reading, it's sort of some sort of signal, mental signal or a sign that y either you're entering or have entered, uh, one of these states of absorption. Yes, that's correct. The Put it in the text as nimitta is a signpost that you actually are into access concentration, moving from access concentration, which is sustaining your concentration long enough, and now you're getting absorbed into whatever is the object of your concentration. Mm -hmm. And then you will have uh, this light coming from within, not coming from outside, coming from within. It's very similar to what you found in yoga with the nadasan. Yeah, yeah. But the nada sound will come, you know, from a different sense, like hearing, and then nimitta come from seeing. Have, in your experience, has in your study, is the nimitta always referred to as a visual signpost, or are there 
sometimes, like you just said with the nada, is it sometimes an auditory sound post, like an, something you would hear? Or I'm mm-hmm. even wondering if it's sometimes a physical signpost where there's a particular sense in your body, whether it's in your hands or your just the way your whole body feels that might be a sign that the concentration is developing. Well, there is different signs for sure, but as far as I know, Nimitta is def- well, is is the luminosity of the mind. You know, is is this inner light coming? Mm-hmm. So sometimes like, it's usually like some sort of a star or a circle. I think that this is where there's individual variation too. But yes. you, you get you get this with your eyes closed somewhere in your third eye vicinity. There's a uh, some sort of visual light that com- that comes on. It could be different colors. Yes, that kind of thing. So the question I have for you, and this is where we want to, I want to put shamatha and like, so shamatha would be the practice of developing concentration. Mm-hmm. And I may be getting this wrong, but um, it's a practice. And then if you do it well, let's say you get good at shamatha, you will be able to enter states of deep absorption, name, namely jhana. Yes. So the question I have, and, and this is where, where it relates to vipassana, is if... And we have, we've been sort of tiptoeing, we've been walking around the edge of this this piece of the conversation, but okay, so what's the point of meditation? If in, in a Buddhist sense, the idea is to develop wisdom yes. and a deep understanding of the nature of things. How does developing these very rare states of concentration and absorption support mm-hmm. in your mind? How does that help someone achieve greater wisdom? Yes. Again, I will come back to the attitude and the approach. Often, you know, uh, shamatha and, and, and the jhana are looked as a um, spiritual materialism path, something to achieve, you know, I can access those very deep state of concentration. Therefore, I'm here on the, on the ladder or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. And just to point that out, like there, if you read the literature on jhana practice, the absorption practice, there are the first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, yes. fourth jhana. So you can like, <laughs> your, exactly. your ego yeah. can have a field day with trying to get better, better at them. And you get puffed up when, you know, if you access one or the second jhana or the third jhana, that's it. Uh, you know, I'm here. Right. And then that could be a big obstacle. But uh, really what shamatha is about, it's purification of the mind. You're purifying your mind. Um, and that is um, not something that uh, everyone, you know, even on the Shamatha Pass, you know, put forward. There is a strong purification of the mind taking place when you do Shamatha. And to go further, I will say that Shamatha really works on uh, anatta, on not-self. There is a thinning of the me, you know. You don't relate to yourself uh, the way you used to. Uh, and that's a huge insight. That's a huge insight. I want to pick up on both of those things and talk about them a little bit more with you. So the, path, like the purification of the mind, what is yes. being purified? You're purifying the identification that you have with yourself. You're not relating to yourself the same way. Uh, you're getting um, into two aspects of purification, which can be maybe explained by... Um, First, a transformation of the mind habit, and then um, the other one would be transcendence, coming closer to the real me, the real self. And this is where purification takes place. 
Wait, you didn't sound very Buddhist there when you said closer to the real self. What do you mean by that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know there is not self, but but there is you know there is a self until there is not, and then so it's always a graduation. It's always a spectrum. It's like you know you need your mind to get free of the mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so the ego is 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 uh, a necessary component of the mind. Uh, having an ident- identification of who you are, who you think you are, is a necessary component of the path. Until it's not, until you're able to let go of it. So you purifying, you purifying your identification until there is no uh, way for you to relate to it, or to express it, or to put any words on it. Would you say that to enter into the states of absorption, part, like one way of describing how someone would enter them is that they would enter through a process of letting go of these identifications you're describing? Like yeah. That yeah. As, as you let go, as someone lets go more and more, their mind starts to go into, get drawn into a state of absorption. So it's not so much a, a process of doing and grasping after focus and concentration. It's mm-hmm. it's a process of releasing into. Exactly. Exactly. You really boil down to what shamatha is about. Shamatha is about removing, not adding concentration, but by removing what is in between you, your, the practitioner and concentration, you are becoming concentration itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's about removing, it's about letting go. And connecting that, this is a, a kind of a complex um, t- t- topic, but connecting the process of letting go and entering these deep states of absorption, um, you connected that to a, a change in a sense of self. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You know, a different perception of self. Um, is it that when you're in the states, you see yourself functioning very differently? And I, I don't have a ton of jhana experience myself, but so I'm curious about your own experience. Do you feel like the wisdom comes from seeing how you how you are a different you in the state itself, and that sense of that you're suddenly a different you gives you direct firsthand experience of the conditioned nature of you do you know what i mean does that does that question make sense to you um i can try to say it again i I think i think you know um, you know maybe for listeners this is i i was trying to talk about this on a retreat recently myself and mm -hmm. i gave the example of in the old days when we listened to music we would have a uh uh, amplifier that had different knobs and different dials for the bass, for the treble, for this, like all the different knobs so you could change the, the settings of, the, of how the music would come out. And when the settings are all one level, you get used to hearing the music one way. Yeah. And that's Equalizer. sort of like our normal sense of self, yeah. right? And yeah. when, you have, when you get used to it that way, you think, well, this is the way it always is. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. But if you were to change all those knobs... They, they would distort how the music sounds and you would realize in that listening that the music, the, the normalcy of the music was dependent 
on the setting being one way. It wasn't intrinsic to the music. It was dependent. The sound of the music was dependent on those settings. And my analogy with jhana is that, you know, before jhana practice, you have a normal sense of yourself, but the jhana distorts the normal settings of a self in, you know, turning certain things down, amplifying certain other things, and gives you a, a firsthand taste of how conditional the self is. It's, it's conditioned by certain things. Yes, yes, I agree with you. I think there is a lot of um, you defabricating, you know, the identification bit by bit, mm-hmm. part by part, by not responding to the stimuli going on into the chitta, into the mind, by always coming back to the object of, you know, um, concentration um, at the at the expense of everything else, slowly, slowly you change the volition of your mind and you start to have a glimpse of the real nature of the mind. What is the mind really? And often we just superimpose identification or, you know, and mind is definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. So just watching one thing at the time, you know, long enough, persistently, will help you to remove those veil, those fabrication, those superimposition of of the identification. And coming back to your um, previous question, you know, what is the aim of of meditation, liberation, and definitely shamatha will take you closer. I'm not saying that it will take you all the way, but it will take you closer, closer mm-hmm. to a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. I mean, definitely. I think it sounds like it was this case for you on your retreats, but um, one of the things that a shamatha, I think the reason why on retreats they often start with shamatha is because when you, when the mind gets more concentrated, it's difficult for the, the, med, the mental difficulties known as the hindrances to arise and cause problems. Yeah. Right. That's, that's so, correct. You're, you, you're building a shield. Right. You build in a shield. But what is taking place in the background at the same time, the purification of the mind, is like you are less um, um, attracted. You are less, um, um, you have less desire. You're letting go of the desire to know more about those identification or to be, to build those identification naturally. So there is there is there is really a cleansing process taking place here. Mm. Do you maybe be, to close out this section of the conversation with you? Um, for someone that was interested in developing shamatha practice, do you have any advice or recommendations for how they might start that? Yeah, I would say maybe, you know, starting to read the Anapanasati Sutra and then getting um, getting a good understanding of uh, the breath, mm-hmm. what is the breath, and start to experience the breath instead of thinking the breath. So either you're putting your attention, your concentration on the movement of your belly or the sensation of the breath caressing nostril and upper lip. Yeah. Getting to know and experience the breath rather than to think the breath. And I think that's approachable for, you know, most people. 
so getting to yeah the experience of the breath. You mentioned the sutta itself, that which is the the Buddha's teaching, the Buddha's discourse on watching the in and out breath. That's it's sixteen contemplations. It's a sutta of sixteen different graduated contemplations, and it's it's a little dry actually. It is. <laughs> it's really dry. Like, like, like the old Theravada path. Yeah. You know, it's it's pretty dry. <laughs> Are there any modern? Um, commentaries or modern books about that sutta that you are fond of that you really like uh buddha dasa i like very much i you know regard him as um, as a modern buddhist uh, thai thai um you know master ajahn Chah, mm-hmm. definitely one one good read also and then i would say that uh, libra sington has got uh, a very um approachable method for the lay people, for the layman, yeah, the lay woman. I'm actually yeah. looking at my shelf right now, and um, his book came out last year. It's Lee Brasington. I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes, but it's called Right Concentration. That's the one you're thinking of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that maybe if you're interested in the shamatha, that would be my first read. Okay, yeah. great. Well, thanks, thanks, Sebastian. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay, we'll pause the conversation there and leave you with the prompt to reflect on your attitude towards meditation. What kind of attitudes and intentions do you bring to the practice? Is your attitude one of attain, trying to attain something in the meditation? And what happens perhaps when you approach the meditation practice with an attitude informed by the intention to purify the mind? Beyond techniques, how does your attitude shift the process of your experience? I hope you enjoyed the second part of my interview with Sebastian Pussell. For more on Sebastian and more on his teaching, check out his website, which is www.with-yinyoga.com. That's www.with-yinyoga.com. And for a link to the book on shamatha meditation that Sebastian mentioned at the end, the one that we were talking about, written by Lee Brasington, you can look for the book in the show notes called Right Concentration. In the next episode with Sebastian, we talk about his month-long meditation retreat at the Forest Refuge in Barrie, Massachusetts. Sebastian shares his experience of studying the Yoga Sutra while on retreat, And for those considering a retreat, he has some helpful reflections to share there at the end. I look forward to sharing that conversation with you soon. Of course, if you'd like to study or train with me, please check out yinyogaschool.com. That's yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I will see you in the next episode.